I, apparently I vocalize enough at least for that. Uh, but yeah, so Big Wet Lion Kiss, and uh, for those in the back, uh, and um, and then and then it continues and the battle's over, you know? It's all good stuff. Uh, now, for the major- majority of this story, Aslan uh, is operating in the background. You don't see him a ton. In fact, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, he is very much not on center stage for most of the scenes of the books. And you hear in line which wardrobe about him moving, you witness his sacrificial death at the stone table. But until this moment, you don't fully have an appreciation for how uneven the battle has been all along. Like you're like, oh, this could go either way, who knows? But there it's like, like you saw it on her face, right? Like that, like, oh. And then I read, I went to the book to see where that's at in the book. And it, and it says something to the effect of, and the look that Lucy saw on the white witch's face was of awe and terror. And I was like, that's what she was doing. She was doing that. Because line kisses, you know? Um, now, you don't get that understanding of Aslan because for the vast majority of the story, the focus isn't on Aslan. It is on the four pensive children, uh, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan. Now, if you got a longer cut of that particular scene, you would have seen all four of them at varying points in that scene. And if you would have witnessed each of them in that scene, you would have seen that they were poised with bravery, cunning, focus, and intentionality. They look like kid superheroes. Like they are ready to go. They're not going in going, I wonder what's going to happen here. They're confident because they're on Aslan's side, things are going to work out. And you would see that Peter and Edmund, you saw it on Peter, uh, on both his, uh, his uh, chest plate and as well as on his shield is Aslan, the symbol of Aslan the lion. And Edmund has the same. And then you would see Susan who's equipped with her bow that's, uh, that uh, rarely misses. And even little Lucy is prepared with her, heal, her healing cordial. And all of them are prepared to do battle and to protect the kingdom. Now, imagine that you've never watched that movie before. You've never read the book before and that's the first scene you saw. If you would have seen this scene take place, you'd been like, wow, that, that's over. And if you'd have seen the extent, longer cut, you would have seen each of the children and you would have gone, wow, they're superstars. They, they're trained, they're prepared to fight without fear, even though they're children. Now, this is kind of the image that's been in my head this week as I was thinking about men and women who I admire, uh, both throughout Christian history, as well as just like friends and family who are just so passionate about the mission of Jesus. Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you have some of those people in your life that you're like, like, like I'm like down here and they're like up here. Like in their, their intimacy with Jesus is just out of this world. Their, their passion for seeing the lost get saved is just unreal. Uh, their, their, their empathy and care, their boldness and conviction are just like, they're like, they're superstars. And I'm like merely a peasant. If this was in the, in, in the fight sequence, it's like, I'm, in it, I'm like somebody who hung around fixing the meals for the, the troops. And, and then they're kind of the ones, they're like the high kings and queens of Narnia. They participate with God 
in epic ways, and, and I do in littler ways. And so you can easily believe that these types of people uh, are special types of people that God uses. In fact, I look around this room and I see a lot of you that I'm like, yeah, you're that to me. And it can be easy for us to think that those people have some Jesus qualified it factor. They are, we could call them more. They're more humble, more engaged in the mission of God, more eloquent, more empathetic, more bold, just more. And so then when we look at our Bibles and we open up our Bibles to Matthew 28, uh, a familiar passage, this is at the very end of Matthew, and Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples at this point, and he's about to descend into the heavens. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always till the end of the age. Now, you might have heard that a time or two if you've been around the church. And you might even be aware that somehow, in some way, it might vaguely somehow apply to you and your story in your life. Mainly because people who stand on stages typically say things like, yeah, this applies to you too. But I want to invite us tonight to ask these questions to ourselves and really process this with the spirit in our hearts. Do I truly believe that mission is mine? Do I truly believe that I am in that reality? Or is it just for the special ones? The ones who are uniquely called and qualified, the ones who get book deals or uh, who people tell their stories long after they're gone. Those, those, those superheroes, those superhumans outside of the realm of us mere mortals. And so they're like Peter and his siblings in the battle scene, yeah? Now, here's what I know about myself. When I believe that someone else is just more, I do one or two things. I can either grow envious and try to be more like them, or I can get apathetic and just think like, well, they're passionate, I'm not. And if I don't have passion, well, then obviously I'm not called to participate. If I were just more passionate and equipped in evangelism or discipleship or my knowledge of the Bible or justice and mercy or this is a, a heart and a desire to serve others well, uh, to live in generosity. If that were just me, like it is clearly them, then I would be more. I'd be more like those spiritual superstars. But as it stands, that's not me. And I'm not actually that bothered by it all the time. So I'm good. I'm going to continue my life on my own trajectory. But I wonder, does this disengaged option that you and I can be tempted towards from time to time, or maybe all the time, does that disengaged option actually exist as, a, as an appropriate response to Jesus? Is that what he invites some of us into? And for some of us, he invites us into epicness. And for others of us, it's like, he's like, I don't expect much of you. You're cool. Just like, go chill. Now, 
C.S. Lewis, phenomenal storyteller. In fact, he is one of my favorite storytellers in the history of the world. But there is a better storyteller, and I'm not going to Jesus you. Yes, I am. It, it, it's Jesus. He is the best storyteller there's ever been. Uh, Jesus was able to tell these short and succinct stories that carried such purpose and depth. In fact, in Matthew 13, he tells a sequence of these stories. We often refer to them as parables. He was highlighting various aspects of the kingdom of God and how his followers are called to participate in light of his kingdom. So in verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I have never grown mustard, mainly because I think mustard is gross, but that sounds pretty cool. The mustard seed represents how the kingdom of God was called to spread. It wasn't going to be with some massive campaign, some epic overhaul, a bunch of trumpets being shouted and armies coming in by force. The kingdom of God would be inaugurated with the smallest of beginnings like a mustard seed. That would be underestimated and overlooked. And it would continue to grow over time, creating something durable, everlasting, vital, for life to flourish. And so then from there, he goes into another parable. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid it in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, I am not a baker. Some of you are like legit bakers, so I will tread lightly here, okay? Uh, From time to time in our house, we make a homemade pizza dough. And I can actually do that. It's impressive how I can use four ingredients properly. Uh, But surprising how little yeast is used in the process to ensure that the dough will arrive into this fluffy deliciousness. Yeast is like a mustard seed in that it's small, it's insignificant, and it's, it's vital. The yeast, the leaven, represents the impact that the kingdom makes in one's life. Just as a little bit of yeast or leaven transforms the dough, literally alters the chemistry of what's happening in the dough. The kingdom of God does not leave one who's experienced it untouched. So I love that Jesus says just a little bit of leaven was put into three different places. And then in that space, the dough was transformed. And that's us. Now we can think of epic spiritual warriors and think, wow, that's definitely them. That's not really so much me. I'm not getting transformed. I don't feel very different than I was in 2023 or 2022. I don't see God moving in my life. I don't see uh, me getting more passionate for the lost and the hurting. But they seem to get it. And so maybe they got more yeast. I don't know how yeast works. So maybe like the more of it, like the quicker it goes or something. But like for me, not so much. They've been equipped. 
Now, to return to Narnia, before we arrive at the battle sequence between the army of Peter and the army of the White Witch, the children are, are being led by Mr. and Mrs. Beaver um, towards a meeting, their first meeting and first interaction with Aslan. Now, the White Witch has put a spell on Narnia, which makes it always winter, but never Christmas, which is a huge bummer. We don't know what winter is, but we do know what Christmas is, so it works out for us down here. Now, she went around her imprisoned kingdom with a sleigh led by white reindeer. But as the children went to find Aslan, the curse began to break, and Christmas finally arrives. Let's watch this. The hope that you have brought your majesties is finally starting to weaken the witch's power. Still, I dare say you could do with these. The juice of the fireflower. One drop will cure any injury. Susan. Trust in this bow, and it will not easily miss. Peter, the time to use these may be near at hand. Thank you, sir. These are tools, not toys. Bear them well and wisely. Isn't it great when Santa brings weapons? <laughs> now, these children were not prepared to battle against the witch on their own. They required equipping for the journey ahead because war was coming. Now, notice a couple things. One, they don't equip themselves. They didn't, like, Father Christmas doesn't come out and say, all right, Susan, go and find this tree and carve out your own bow and go find um, the fire flower and, and juice it. And like all those things, right? They, were, they weren't told to go figure it out on their own. Now for us followers of Jesus, we were never meant to equip ourselves by ourselves. The Christian life was never meant to be done alone. Now there are two different types of equipping that each of us, according to the scriptures, receive as we follow Jesus. The first is the equipping of the Holy Spirit. This idea that God in the spirit dwells within each believer when they come to saving faith in Christ. And that's to fulfill what Jesus said at the end of the great commission, right? Uh, and behold, I will be with you always till the end of the age. And so he sent his own spirit to dwell within the life of the church, within the heart of each believer to lead us towards life, light and flourishing and counseling us, serving as our great counselor to lead us into what is truly good. And so we have spirit equipping. But there's a second type of equipping that comes. It's from God, but it's through his people. Now, when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he explained this impact that, the, that his people, the church, were meant to have on one another. And this comes in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. 
And so the context is Peter's, or, uh, Paul's talking about the unity of the body and this idea that, uh, that God is making this thing called the church into existence. This was to a church that desperately needed to know what the church was really meant to be all about. And so he says, he, I'm sorry, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wave of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the very head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love this passage. I love this. And we could dig super deep into this. We could do an entire series on this one passage. But for tonight, we're going to talk about its primary focus which is that those who are called to lead the church. And so it, leads, it lists off a few different roles within the life of the church. And, uh, and, and so we can extract from that, from principle, that the concept of the leadership of any body, of any local church, that they are not meant to be the exclusive doers of ministry, but the equippers of the doers of ministry. Now we have this this idea in um, in Western Christianity, this idea that it is up to uh, the pastors to do the ministry. Um, in fact, a question that uh, I have gotten from time to time over uh, my time in pastoral ministry is, um, I will be asked questions like, uh, "How did you know you were being called into the ministry?" And, uh, and I totally know what's being asked because I know that the, the idea is like, when do you believe that God called you in to step into pastoral ministry? I get that. But the reality is, according to the scriptures, I was called into the ministry when I became a member of the saints. Does that make sense? And that's not just me like Danny. That's all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, the moment that you became a follower of Jesus, you were called one of the saints. And if you are called one of the saints, then that means you are part of the ministry. Now, pastoral ministry is a type of ministry, but the most real world ministry happens. And I've seen this happen through so many of you, through the caring for cast members when you are going to work at Walt Disney World, when you say yes to an invitation to hang out with your neighbor and have an intentional conversation, when you get to have a conversation about Jesus with a family member or friend who might be far away or needs deep encouragement in their walk. See, to do that is to do the work of the ministry. And that is the ministry for all of the saints. And see, to do this kind of ministry, there is a two-way responsibility for the equipping towards that end. Because if it is the leaders of the church's job to equip the saints for the work of ministry, then what does it look like? Well, like Father Christmas dishing out these tool, these, uh, these tool gifts to these young royals, the leaders of any local church are responsible to dish out tool gifts 
that'll prepare all of us for the epic kingdom mission that we are called to advance. And so within our local church context, our elders, uh, which I'm one of them, we are the primary shepherds of our community and our deacons are our servant leaders. And together we make up those who help shepherd and lead this church. But we must be actively involved in equipping y'all, all of us, for the work of ministry. Elders need to be equipped Deacons need to be equipped. Those who come in for a one-time visit need to be equipped. And so we need to be equipped. But also, you must take that tool gift and actually use it. That makes sense, right? In battle, if Peter had never unsheathed his sword or Susan never drew her bow, or Lucy never needed to take her cordial out of her pocket, those gifts become uh, ineffective because of non-use or misuse. And see, when you are equipped with biblical teaching that happens in our gathering space, when you are equipped with impactful spiritual rhythms as you are being discipled by a friend or somebody else in our community, as you are being equipped with creative and missional ideas to intentionally love your friends, your family, and your coworkers, like Jesus does, which we've always uh, tried to do and participate in. And over the last year, we did two things, the Summer of Uncommon Love, and we did that Uncommon Love cookie challenge. Those were equipping. Those were, here are some ideas, go for it. We'll make it easy. We'll participate financially in this story. How can we help? How can we as a community go and serve your cast members? See, these are all methods that the, in this particular local church that our leaders are seeking to continually equip each and every one of us for the work of ministry, both for our discipleship and for the discipleship of those we come in contact with. See, these tool gifts are not just meant for us as the recipients, now, don't get me wrong. We benefit greatly from them. If you've ever been discipled by somebody who has led you into learning how to study the scriptures or how to pray in, in different ways or how to surrender things to God, you will likely attest that you've been greatly benefited by the equipping from somebody else. But if you take that and you never pass it on, then that is a non-use or it's a misuse. See, we were never given anything by God that we would not then pass along. We get the insane satisfaction in participating with God in his mission. And then as we use those, we get to equip them into others so that they can equip those into others and they can equip those into others. This is literally how the church has worked for the last 2000 years at its best. Is it's faithful brothers and sisters passing on what they have learned to other faithful brothers and sisters. And so we, we participate in Jesus' mission as we learn and grow and are equipped with gifts from the spirit and from within the body. But is that it? Is that all we need is to be equipped? And if we're just equipped, then we are good to go on the battlefield. Early in the story in Narnia, we find these children even less prepared to fight for Aslan and for Narnia. In fact, they hadn't even heard of the name of Aslan yet when they first make their way into Narnia and sit in the house of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. So let's go ahead and watch that clip. 
Isn't there anything we can do to help Thomas? They'll attack him to the witch's house. And you know what they say? There's few that go through them gates that come out again. Fish and chips. <laughs> but there is hope, dear. Lots of hope. Oh, yeah, there's a right bit more than hope. Aslan is on the move. Who's Aslan? <laughs> Who's Aslan? <laughs> you cheeky little blighter. <laughs> what? You don't know, do you? Well, we haven't exactly been here very long. Well, he's only the king of the whole wood. The top geezer. The real king of Narnia. He's been away for a long while. But he's just got back. And he's waiting for you near the stone table. Waiting for us. You're blooming joking. They don't even know about the prophecy. Well, then. Look. Aslan's return. Thomas' arrest. The secret police. It's all happening because of you. You're blaming us. No, not blaming. Thanking you. There's a prophecy. When Adam's flesh and Adam's bone sits at Care Perivel in throne. The evil time will be over and done. You know, that doesn't really rhyme. Yeah, I know it don't, but you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> it has long been foretold that two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve will defeat the White Witch and restore peace to Narnia. And you think we're the ones? Well, you better be, because Aslan's already fitted out your army. Our army? Mum sent us away so we wouldn't get caught up in a war. I think you've made a mistake. We're not heroes. We're from Finchley. Oh. Thank you for your hospitality. But we really have to go. You can't just leave. He's right. We have to help Mr. Tomnus. It's out of our hands. I'm sorry. But it's time the four of us were getting home. To watch how all these clips fit together, please visit Disney+. Plus. Um, <laughs> now, in the book, this is described when they first hear Aslan's name. And it says that it sends chills down them and they don't even know why. When they hear the prophecy refers to them. When they discover who they truly are and whose they truly are. See, these children believe they are just normal kids from outside of London. Why should they dare to believe that they are Narnian royalty, much less care about a warfare that was happening all around them? But in this scene, I love the reaction of Susan and Peter as the thought of their new identity. Like, we're not heroes. That's not us. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I... I I'm just little old me. Like, what can I do? It reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter one, verse three. This is how he talks at the beginning of this letter to inform this church of who they are. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I don't know if you're catching what's happening here exactly, but what he is saying is before I'm gonna get to any of the stuff that y'all are doing wrong or all the things that you could improve on and the things you're doing right, I'm gonna first and foremost, make sure you have it drilled into your head who you are. We're like the kids in, in the beaver's dam. They're like, no, that's not me. You're talking about somebody else. That's not my identity. See, fulfilling the mission of Jesus is not about getting motivated that, so that you can somehow charge the battlefield or about, or about going and getting equipped so that you can go uh, and, and do epic battle against Satan. The mission of Jesus is first and foremost rooted in your understanding of your identity in Christ. Our world tells you that you that who you truly are is self-defined within your own heart and within your own mind. But that is completely backwards from the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus offers a completely different way of understanding selfhood. Jesus says, you don't find who you are by looking inside yourself. You find who you are by looking within me. And if you are within me, then you will find who you truly were all along. I like that in the final battle scene. Uh, Peter is wearing that armor and that shield, right? With that symbol of Aslan on it. And that's such a beautiful reminder to me uh, that, that Peter now knows who he is. He knows that he is a representative of Aslan, that he is serving as the high king of Narnia. And that changes everything. Their identity changes everything. If they believe that they were just kids from London and they didn't dare to think, well, maybe there's truth to this, they would have tried to find their brother and then just head right back through the cupboard, right through the wardrobe. But, but they start discovering who they are as they progress down their path. Now, you could be passionate for the mission, you could be well-equipped for the task and you could even believe in this new identity. But if you go at it alone, then you will end up like Peter did in his fight with the white witch, fighting bravely, but ultimately he is incompetent for the task at hand by himself. And see, that's where the most important phrase in all of Narnia corresponds to the most important thing we could say about our real lives today. When Mr. Beaver tells the kid, Aslan is on the move. If Aslan wasn't on the move, it doesn't matter who these kids are. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter who, what they're supposed to be doing. If Aslan wasn't there, they don't have a shot at this thing. It is only if Aslan is on the move that, that the freezing spell of eternal winter with no Christmas ends. It's only if Aslan is on the move that, that any of this hope is possible. The, these kids' arrivals, that doesn't bring hope in and of itself. It's the arrival of Aslan on the scene. And because Aslan is on the move, the children can discover who they truly are. Father Christmas is able to break past the spell and bring equipping to these kids. The armies of Narnia can begin to amass and they can go confidently 
into this epic battle, pursuing justice and peace for this beautiful fictional world. But it all starts because Aslan is on the move. Now, we just finished with our Advent series and, uh, and what we focused on this year was arrival. This idea that what Christmas is truly about is that, that Jesus, the Messiah, has arrived in the flesh. Narnia's story is, about, about the, is not about these children, just as our life stories are not about us. Because Jesus is on the move, every story is about him. Because Jesus is on the move, everything is by him, for him, and for his glory, for making much of him, not much of us. If, if, if Jesus isn't a part of the story, then yeah, your life is definitely about yourself. More or less, like figure it out. Self-define it. But if Jesus is who he says he is, and he is actively on the move, and not just in his earthly ministry uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, but if he is on the move today, then everything changes. It's because he was on the move, because he moved towards the cross to bring healing, restoration, and this new identity. We now discover who we truly are in him. And as we live in this true identity, we are equipped for the mission, both by the spirit of God and by one another as the church. And as we are equipped, we are called to passionately pursue this epic mission to go make disciples of all people groups, knowing that none of this comes from our own strength, but because he is with us and he will not abandon us to the end of the age because Jesus is on the move, we go on the move. The children in the beaver's house, they had a decision to make, right? And if you follow the scene further, Edmund ends up bouncing because uh, he's not so cool for a lot of the movie, but it's fine. There's another book. Uh, but they have a decision to make. They know now that this Aslan, the true king, is on the move, but how are they going to respond? For some of us here, you may have never responded to the call of the gospel, to the truth that Jesus is on the move. You may have never put your hope and trust in the good news of Jesus and surrendered your life to him. That invitation is always open to you. The invitation for you is to listen and respond. Now, for some of us here, you might just be passing through. Maybe you're just visiting some friends. Uh, maybe uh, you're only here for a brief season. And maybe God has another local church in mind for you to either where you're currently plugged into or will be plugged into in the near future. But let this message be the encouragement that you need to hear to get involved, to get equipped and to get passionate for the unique vision that God has on that, that all-encompassing mission to go make disciples that God has given your particular local church. Get going. Because God isn't waiting around some, for some version of a superstar Christian a version of you in mind. He is calling you, warts and all, all the bad and the broken and the redeemed and the restored, all of you. He is calling you. He wants you to participate. The king wants you to participate. 
Wouldn't it be epic to find out that Aslan, if Aslan was real, that he wanted you to participate? That'd be crazy. And our God is the creator of the cosmos. He sits on the highest throne and he says, you, you're invited. Now, for those of us who God has called to be a part of this particular biblical community, this faith family, the invitation for you, you can just slim it down to this. Buckle up. Buckle up because we're just getting started. Because we wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is on the move around the world at Walt Disney World and within our local church. Our elders have spent so much time over the last year seeking the Spirit's guidance on a vision for our church born out of this belief that Jesus is not waiting around for us. He's not, he's not uh, twiddling his thumbs. He is actively on the move already and we are invited to join him in what he is doing already. And so this vision, it's not just a one year vision, but this is a vision for who we are and who we are becoming over the next five to 10 years taking that same mission of Jesus, go make disciples, but understanding what his unique vision, that focus, the contextualized approach that's meant to be for Mosaic Church. And Mosaic Church currently exists as one church that, that meets in two different contexts. We have the Winter Garden Campus and we have the Disney Campus. And so what we asked was not what's a vision for the Disney Campus, what's a vision for the Winter Garden Campus, but for Mosaic Church as a whole, what is your vision for us? That if you, Jesus, are already on the move, how do you want Mosaic to participate in your story? And so there were four things. None of these will maybe super like, whoa, that's a brand new concept. Um, But they're really cool. So we're putting them up right now. And so first, we want to be a church family that is equipped for the work of ministry through regular rhythms and practices of being immersed in God's word together with God's people and through the power and leading of God's spirit. That's Father Christmas stuff, yeah? Like we want to be an equipping church. Here's some tool gifts, go use them. We want to be a church family that is reaching Orlando with the gospel through bold and intentional evangelism and disciple making. So we want to be a disciple making church family. We want to be a church family that is multiplying gospel outposts throughout central Florida through training leaders, launching campuses and planting new churches. And fourth is we want to be a world changing church family. We want to be a church family that is changing the world through the movement of our resources, meaning our time, our treasure, and our talents to serve one another and meet the needs of vulnerable people locally and globally. We've often talked about our three, uh, three particular areas of focus, worlds of adoption and foster care, poverty alleviation, and ending human trafficking. And so we see each of those four things, not other than the mission of Jesus, but completely enmeshed with the concept of going and making disciples of all nations. Now, each of these realities are truly epic, but they boil down to the same reality. See where Jesus is already moving because he's doing all those things. He is doing these things with or without mosaic, I promise but he wants us to be a part of it. 
and not like just organizationally mosaic. No, no, like if this is your home community, this is the stuff that you get to be a part of and not in some like, yay kind of way, but like, no, the invitations are gonna be real and you're invited into these. That we're gonna discover where he is on the move, discovering more fully our identity in him, being equipped for intimacy with Jesus to go and fulfill his mission and growing in passion and commitment for this mission. Now in our campus context, our contextualized focus has always been, and it's gonna double down into in the years ahead. So again, buckle up. We want to reach cast members of Walt Disney World with the gospel. It's not just that we want to. He wants to. Whatever want you have or don't have in reaching cast members right now, he has all of the want for it. He has all of the burning passion to reach those who are far from him and to carry along those who need to be encouraged and brought in to a fully formed relationship with Jesus. And so what we are going to do is we're going to press into even further the equipping for relational evangelism, deep discipleship, and, and most importantly, prayer. So that we would be able to step in more fully into the lives of cast members. Now, this, ca- this campus doesn't exist for cast members exclusively. We don't check your blue ID at the door. But it does exist specifically to reach them with the gospel. So if you are a part of this community and you are not currently a cast member, you've never even been a cast member. You didn't even know they were called cast members before you walked in. You still don't know what I mean by the word cast member, Disney employees. Uh, You, if you are a part of this local church, this particular campus, then you are invited into a church with the focus of reaching Walt Disney World cast members with the gospel, unashamedly, unabashedly. The question is, will we care about what Jesus cares about? Seeing his kingdom come, his will be done at Walt Disney World as it is in heaven. Now, if God is calling you to participate in the story of another local church that that proclaims the good news of Jesus, then that is epic and awesome. Go do that. Get committed there. Like truly, get committed there. But if you attend here regularly and, and you're like, I don't know if I really call this home yet. Well, if you keep coming back at some point, maybe you are a part of us. Um, I want you to really consider that and pray over that. Is, is this the community that God has for me? And then commit because the mission is way too big and we need all hands on deck and we need to actively participate in this mission together. Because reality is you can only be equipped so much by simply attending here on Sunday nights. There is so much more available to you. If you do call this community your home, then here's my challenge. It's a very specific and direct challenge and it ties into all four of those realities. You might not see it at first, but I promise you it matters. Is consider stepping into covenant partnership. That sounds very different than these ones. No, I promise it's attached to all four of those realities. Covenant partnership is uh, our phrase for what you might call meaningful membership. It is a way to say that this is my biblical community, that I am a participant in, this, in the mission and the vision here. And in this community, I, am, I belong. And in this community, I desire to be equipped. 
Now you can find more about uh, Mosaic Covenant Partnership by joining in on our classes that we have. We'll mention those at the end of the gathering that are coming up over the course of the next month or so. See, our hope with covenant partnership is it was going to be a focusing in on this idea of an equipped church family, that there's going to be intentionality and, uh, and focus to equip our covenant partners, not just so that they would like be in the insider uh, information club, but so that they would be poured into so that they could be pouring into others. It's a statement of this is my community and I take this mission, this vision as my own. For 2000 years, Jesus has been on the move. Even when we don't see him, he is working. He's working in the background. He's working in the lives of others. He is working and he is bringing about redemption and restoration And at Walt Disney World, there are thousands of cast members who are far from home. And I don't just mean their hometown or their home state or their home country, but their true home that they were created for, their home that their their heart longs for without being able to name, name the desire. It is the kingdom of God. And just like each one of us, the longings of their hearts that get pulled in every which direction will never ultimately satisfy on their own. But each of our longings It's for a home that only Jesus can bring us into. And we are invited to participate with him as a church family. And so, like I said, buckle up, get equipped and know who you truly are because the invitation is waiting and Jesus is already on the move. It can, we can look around, you can scroll through your feeds, you can check out through the headlines and you can feel so discouraged and so without hope. I, I know that feeling. But if Jesus is on the move, then there is hope even in this land. Let's pray. Father, As we sit here tonight, hearing your words, meditating on your vision, hearing your call. Lord, I just know that it is so easy for me and I'm imagining for just about all of us to feel uh, unequipped, unprepared, not passionate enough, not excited enough. any number of things that can stop us that the enemy could use to say, yeah, that calls for the not you. But Lord, there's no second tier of believers. There's no hierarchy amongst your children. There's no better and the worse offs. There's only your kids, adopted sons and daughters who are called forever yours. And so I pray for all those who are here tonight who know who they are in you, that you would remind them of that and that you'd help equip them within the context of a local church to discover that more fully and to be activated on mission because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
you work in our hearts and minds tonight? Would you work in my heart and mind? For those who are here who may not know you, Lord, would you be pursuing them by the power of your spirit even right now? Lord, your kids need you desperately, far more than we could possibly know. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.